So it's kind of a throwback Sunday today. We preached, huh? <laughs> Way back. Uh, we preached through this passage I'm going to share today out of Mark earlier. Uh, but today we're going to look at it in Matthew in chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. You know, God's pretty consistent in the way that He does things. Uh, that's so, uh, you know, we, we get bamfoozled sometimes. That's a Dr. Seuss word, by the way. Oh, we want to go ahead and release these kids out of here in case, uh, you know, they start shooting spitballs at me or something here in a minute. Uh, <laughs> it can happen. Uh, I've had it happen, but not in this setting. Anyway, we can we can convince ourselves that God is some on, ominous, confusing character sometime. And God's pretty consistent in the way that He does things. And one of the reasons why we know that this is pretty clear is that when Jesus taught us to pray, He said to pray as earth as it is in heaven. He wants us... He wants just to understand that God has made it possible for us to mimic what He does here. In fact, everything about, from, from Genesis to the temple to all, all the way through, we find this thing where God is showing us that our life here can be uh, pretty precisely what it is like in heaven. And one of the things that um, is significant to our relationship to God is the fact that God sent His Son to us, Right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I say forgotten because a lot of people forget Him today. His only begotten or His one and only beloved. That whosoever believe in Him would not perish. But have everlasting life. I mean, we understand that as the foundational passage of, you know, verse of Scripture for all the New Testament. God sent His Son. And we, we value that with the deepest understanding of who he is and we discover that he does the same thing to us he sends us not as something separate and apart but as a model of how jesus even came to us and so today we're going to look at some things about how it it is in heaven it should be on earth and how jesus went about making that possible for us because as we all know we're we're broken vessels i think if if there's any one thing we can agree upon about our shared life together in a church is that we're broken in some way. Uh, life just hasn't measured up the way that we've dreamed it would be. Um, sin has crept in here and there. And we can agree that that's true and that we just don't always feel like we measure up to what God would need us to be. And it's true, we don't. But it's also true that he's never allowed for that to become a problem for him. Wow. Isn't that good? Um, for so many of us, when people don't measure up, they become a problem for us. But, you know, with God, we don't measure up. 
He's, he's got it worked out already. And we're going to look at some of that today and discover just how meaningful our lives are. Not only to the God that made you, but to the lives that are around you. So, Matthew 18, Matthew 4, 18 through 22, reads like this. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, the he being Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, or who is now called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So there's some background here we have to kind of understand that makes this passage have the full meaning that it's capable or carries for us. It wasn't uncommon for, in fact, it was actually expected. If you were a, born into a Hebrew family in the day and you were a male, sorry, ladies, at the time, nobody really considered that your brain mattered much. We all understand it differently today. Believe me, uh, we know just how valuable you are. And uh, you'll never hear me say anything different about that, by the way. But back then, every boy, by the time he was 10 years old, had been sent off to rabbi school, basically. He was sent to somewhere, some teacher that was in the community or nearby that the family knew or that was part of their tribe. Uh, they would send these boys off to learn the, first, the meaning of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Everybody knows that to be the what? The law. Everybody had to know the law if you were a male in Hebrew society. So somewhere between 8 and 10 years old, they were sent to study. All right, which was probably a welcome change for these guys because uh, up until that time, they milked goats and they did all the stuff, you know, that they may not have enjoyed doing. Um, so this was a little bit of a break, but it was also preparing them for manhood because by the age of 12... They were considered capable of having their own family and their own household and taking care of those things. But you could not do that unless you had the foundation of the law. So everybody went, every young man went and studied the law. And once they had completed that to the satisfaction of the rabbi, they were sent home. Unless you had a particular propensity or desire or showed a particular skill in what you were doing in studying the law, then you might be allowed to hang around and study the rest of the Old Testament. Okay, so some rabbi would choose you to do that, and you would study. And so that was kind of the, the best of the best. And then that would last for a few years, and you would go back home. Then by the time you were 17 or 18, if you decided that, hey, I really like studying the law and the prophets and the history and I think I want to be a teacher. Then you would go and you would find a teacher. And this is what you did. You just went. And if he was teaching, you just sat down at his feet. 
And if he chose you to be a student, he'd tell you. If he didn't choose you, well, he just wouldn't tell you anything. And you knew that you weren't chosen to be a student under his feet. If you were chosen, then you followed this teacher everywhere and you became just like him. Everything that he knew, you knew. The way that he spoke, you learned to speak. The idea was that you were becoming a reproduction of this guy because he had chosen you as a vessel to pass all of his information along to. Okay, so that it could be passed to the next generation. Now, the reason why this was so important is that not everybody could read. And so, so much of what they knew, they passed on in an oral way. You memorized it. You had to have a good brain. I would have, I would have been milking goats for a long time. I just don't have the kind of brain that works that way. So why is that so important to the story? Well, these four guys that Jesus calls that day, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were not called back to rabbi school. These were the guys that had completed their time when they were about 10 years old, and somebody said, you know what? You just don't have it to go on and learn the rest of this. It's time for you to go on back home. And then maybe at 17 or 18, they may have decided, well, I really like this. I'm going to go try to find me a teacher that I can learn to be a rabbi. And they, they, they obviously, if they went, they weren't asked to follow. And so here they were back at the family business. Cutting and cleaning fish. Not a step up from milking goats, I don't think. But that's who they were. That was their life. It's just a regular, ordinary life. Nothing special about their life. They had no special idea about who they were or anything like that. They were just regular old people. That should really make us all feel good. Because you see what Jesus does? See, in, in, in the old system, you had to go find somebody that would accept you. Because they saw something in you that was special. You know what Jesus does? He walks up to these two fish-cutting guys that are eking out a living, selling fish at the market every day because fish didn't keep unless you salted it or something like that. They were doing this every day, and Jesus comes up and he says, follow me. Nothing special about these guys other than this. Jesus saw him and he said, follow me. And they immediately, it says, they got up and followed him. Now, how many of us would really do that? How many of us would just get up and follow? Right? Well, in their culture, it would mean that you were willing to leave everything to be a part of a rabbi's school. And we're not asked to do that. But what we are asked and what we are demanded as followers of Jesus is to understand that we've been called into his squad, so to speak. We've been called into his way of thinking. We've been called into a life that says, yeah, I am going to emulate. I am going to, to become an, an icon of Jesus. 
I'm going to be that person that's going to, to be exactly who Jesus is in the world and what he, and, and the way that he taught me how to live. And when I use the word icon, it, it was a, it's a specific idea in the old day. If, uh, if, if you were a, uh, a Roman general, so to speak, and you had an order for your troops, you had some scribe, you would dictate it out, he would write it on a scroll, they'd roll up that scroll, and then they would put uh, wax over where the, the edge of the paper met the, the scroll, and they would put usually three of them in there, there were three seals on the scroll, and he would put his ring, his signet ring, into the, that ink, I mean, to the end of that wax, and when it hardened, it carried the authority and the image of that particular Roman general. And the guy, it may not be addressed to anyone, but the guy that carried that scroll, he understood precisely who it was to be, and he was not going to allow that to leave his possession until it got to where it went. When we give our life to Christ, He is in the process of making us into that icon where we carry the same authority and the same image that He carried. So God doesn't do anything really different here. He sent his son Jesus with all authority then sent him to do a specific thing and he's done the same thing with us Jesus sends us with his authority to do a specific thing and it doesn't require that we be special a lot of times I will hear people say I just can't do so and so usually what they're saying is this is one of the, the big ones I just don't know how to pray Okay, that's one thing that they will say, like there's some special knowledge to knowing how to pray. Okay, I just don't know how to, I just can't pray. I just don't know how to pray. That's one thing. Or the other thing they'll say is, I really don't know how to, to talk to somebody about Jesus. Okay, like there's some kind of special knowledge that you have to have before you, you do that, see. And Jesus is saying, hold on a minute. I'm going to call you to that and let's see what happens after that. Okay, let's just see what's all involved in that after, after we come to that point. So you don't have to be special. The other thing is you don't have to go looking for Jesus for special marching orders in this thing. He chooses us. That should, that should make us really happy because no one... No one really chooses someone to do something. Say, for instance, uh, you own a, a company, and, and one of the things that you do is you make widgets. And you don't know anything about making widgets. You just got the money to make the widgets. So you go out and you pick somebody, and you're going to say, I want you to make the widget. He says, I don't know anything about that. He says, that's okay. I've got all the resources. I've got all the money. I'm giving you all my authority. You just go make them. You just go figure this out. Okay, he said, but I don't know how to do that. Don't worry. I'm not going to get mad at you if you don't do it tomorrow or the next day or the next year or two years from now. I've just given you the authority to do it. I've chosen you to do this. Now go do it. Well, wait a minute. Well, it says, and then he finally says, look, there ain't no waiting. I've given you everything to do this. Do it. You ever feel like sometimes God has given you all the resource and everything that, that you need to do what He's asked you to do? And you just kind of keep saying, well, wait a minute, but I don't, I can't, I won't, I should, I would, but I might not, da, da, da. You know, I can't get out of bed. 
That's another one I love. I just can't get out of bed. So tired. So tired. The God of heaven and earth and the Son that He sent to save you chose you to do what He's asked you to do. You didn't have to be anything special. He just chose you. Through your faith and trust in Him, He chooses you. That's part of what this means. The other thing is our, our primary calling in this by Him is really to be with Him first. If you're wondering what to do next, if you've, if you've, if you said, okay, Jesus, I want to be with you, then you got to be with Him. You can't just say, Jesus said, follow me. And they say, okay, I'm going to follow you. And they get back to their nets and doing what they want. Boy, it sure felt nice to tell Jesus I'm going to follow. But then you don't follow him. I've always wanted somebody to come by and just say to me, follow me. And uh, now that they've done that, I think that I'm, I'm just going to rest in that. That's it. No. Our primary calling from Jesus is to be with Jesus. When he said, follow me, that meant something. It meant something to these guys because they immediately left and do it. What does it mean for us? As a part of our faith in Jesus, he says to us, follow me. What is that meaning to your life? How is that defining your life? Where's the purpose for your life coming as you follow him? I'm convinced a lot of people today want to be able to say, I am saved by the blood of the lamb, but I can't find him. He said to follow me, but I looked up one day and he'd left off without me. Well, that's not true either. But we feel that way. That's what matters. When he says to follow me, we make up our minds then and there. This is a life that I've been called to. This is an opportunity that's been given to me and I am not going to waste it. I'm going to go sit at the master's feet. That's what I want. Now look, if you're not doing that, if, if, if your Christian life is just an add-on to everything else that you're trying to do in life, you've mistaken why Jesus came and who He is. Jesus came for your life. He came as the Son of God for your life. And you can continue to try to add Him on to the other things that you're doing in your life. But you're never going to follow Him doing that. It's too easy to leave Him. It's too easy just to unadd Him. He's not an add-on. He's your life. And we need to behave as though He is our life. To follow Him also means that we have to leave all. And what I mean by that is this. I'm not asking you to quit your job. Who would do that? I'm not asking you to leave your family like these guys did, although that was what was expected of them in the day. But I am, I am saying, and the Scripture is saying, that, it's, that you have to prioritize things in your life, and there's no priority greater than Jesus. There's no priority greater than the gospel, which is that, what is the gospel? Jesus said it's this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near to you. What are you saying in that? Your life that you're living without me is a train wreck. And you're going to die in it. You turn from that life 
and you turn to the kingdom of heaven, which is right here. It's me. I'll make it clear for you. So we leave all as a priority. Our work does not take priority over our witness, ever. Our family does not take priority over our witness, ever. You know what will happen in that? It's happened to some in this room. It's happened to me. When, when family takes a priority over witness and they begin to hate, behave badly, they even begin to behave as though they really don't believe in Jesus at all. If our first loyalty is to the family, we're never going to open our mouth to them. And it could very well be to their eternal peril that we don't. We can't let family take a priority. We can't let our own hopes and dreams uh, take priority. Man, I, I I told myself that story for a long time that I could... Uh, I could be a follower of Jesus and live out my own dreams even if he was included in them. And do you know what the truth of that was? Not true. I lost all my dreams, but you know who I didn't lose? I didn't lose Jesus. And you know why? Because he never quit on me. And when I finally let all of those things fluff away like scales from my eyes, as Paul would say, I found my life. Clearly found it. I had to leave all of that behind. We have to leave all. We have to prioritize our life in the right way. Or we're never going to be effective at what He's called us to do. We will always be frustrated when, when Christ is near to us. You ever feel that way? You ever, you ever been in that place where you know what you're supposed to be doing? You know the people that you're supposed to be reaching? You know exactly what you need to be saying and you don't? And then Jesus shows up, wants to sit down and have a cup of coffee. And you don't even know what to say because you know what's on his mind, but you're afraid to admit what's on your mind. Well, look, all of that, just let be free from all of that. He already knows. You can't hide any of this stuff from him. He knows that you haven't left everything to follow him. And he still shows up and he still says, we got to continue to work on this because your life is enriched by it. And there's people that you that you know that I've given to you to bring the gospel to. Their, their eternal lives depend upon it. Wow. There's so much to leave in it all and to giving it all to him. Finally, he talks about spiritually reproducing. He says, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. He's not going to say, I'm not going to suggest to you that this is what you do with your life now. You follow me and I will make you. What's that mean? I'm going to reshape you to where you're going to become the best people fisherman there is. If you'll just let me do it. I will make you to fish for people. Now, what does that mean? Look, when we give our lives to Jesus, there's some things that happen in that. When these guys were following Jesus, it's kind of a different concept. They were following a teacher. I'm convinced it wasn't until after the crucifixion that they understood that Jesus had died for them and they were ready to give their life for Him. 
This is a process, a changing moment in all of human history where now we stand before Him. I mean, we stand before our Savior knowing this. That our sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. We know that. And everybody has sinned. Right? Which means that the glory of God is not in us. We fall short of it. We can't even, we can't even really comprehend it. That's what sin does. We fall so far away from God that everything that is godly just, it's just almost impossible to relate to. He says, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Everybody should know that verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus expects us when we say to Him, yes, all that is true about my life, that I know that I was, I was sinning against God and that I was so far away from His glory, but God sent His glory to us. And that glory came and revealed Himself to us and then died to cover our sin. And in covering that sin, we are able to live in that and live eternally with God. That's the gift of eternal life. This is our spiritual life. And he's saying, you've got to reproduce that in others. This is the way God has set it out to be. Do you find it interesting that in the book of Genesis, very, very, second chapter, first chapter, and God creates us and he says, now you go take care of the earth. And it's kind of like, why? Why didn't God just take care of the earth? Well, what's the deal here? Well, because He had made us in what? His image. And so we were quite capable of taking care of the earth. And He, he desires for us to be in relationship with Him and creation so that there's this kind of this unifying, unifying factor there that's going on. That God had His creation, He had His image, and it was all working exactly like He designed. He could have taken care of everything Himself, but then He wouldn't have had to make us in His image, so to speak. We would have really been just a little bunch of little robots running around. Same thing here. God says, you know what? I've made you. Through faith in Jesus, I've made you not in, I've made you into the image of my Son. And now look what you get to do. You go get to take care of all these people who need to be made into the image of my son. I've done everything I'm going to do in this. A lot of times I think we're waiting on God to perform a miracle that will bring a person to faith in Jesus. And he's already done the miracle 2,000 years ago when he put his son on the cross to die for us. We're just wanting God, we're just wanting the shortcut, the lazy way for God to do something he's already given for us to do. And so now he says, go do it. You've got to go reproduce. I'm going to make you to be fishers of men. I mean, I'm going, to, I'm going to make you to where you can catch these people that are sinning against me and help them come to faith in Jesus Christ so that they can be with the Father forever. It's not an option. I will make. Sooner or later, if you're going to live in the fullness of Jesus Christ, you're going to live in the fullness of offering a testimony of just who He is in your life. 
I may have said this to you. But I, since I started my chaplaincy at the, at the prison, at the detention center, I've, I've become renewed like eagle's wings. It's, a, it's, it's remarkable. It is remarkable that I step into a place every day where people are locked up and you would think that there's no hope but they all got one of these, and if they don't have one, we give them one. I've passed out, I've been there a month. I've passed out 300 Bibles in a month. And they're all reading this, and they all have questions. You know what I get to do for about 16 hours a week is answer questions about Scripture. Wow. Really? You know what else I get to do? Pray. I pray like I've never prayed before. I've prayed like I've never prayed with you guys. And you know why? Do you want to know why? Okay, I'll tell you. I can tell you why. It's I, I tell you why it's so rich and so purposeful. Okay? It's because they want what I got. Everybody that's lost wants what you have. They may not know it, but they're just not in the right place in life yet. Fortunately for me, all of these guys are. They're wanting something different. Do you know nobody wants to be in jail? Have you found that out? Have you, do you understand that? Nobody wants to be there. But there's a handful that in there that understand that, that they don't want to be there because they don't want the life that they've lived already. There's four guys in there that I've met who should have got out in March. But you know why? They're not out. They don't want to go back to their old life. They've got nowhere to go that's different. They'd rather sit in jail, read this word, pray, and wait for the right time in life for God to have everything prepared for them. If you want to pray for people in jail, you pray that God is preparing everything for their life beyond jail because that's where the real work is. He commands us to spiritually reproduce. Which means that sooner or later you've got to heed the command of your Lord. You can't just continue to say, oh, I'll do it later or that's not what I signed up for or that really wasn't a part of the guy that offered me, uh, that, that, that shared with me uh, the sinner's prayer and I gave my heart to Jesus he never said anything about any of that well shame on them but it's not their responsibility this is yours once you say to the teacher I'm going to sit at your feet and I'm going to follow you wherever you go you do what he tells you to do you become what he is or you're not a very good disciple you're not a very good learner you're not a very good follower The reason why I'm talking about all this today is because of this. When I found out what this was really all about, I said, man, this is something I want to show to my church. This is part of following. Now you're thinking, what is that? 
Well, you've got a guy, you've got a little thing about what this is in your bulletin, and you heard J.D. Greer speak about it. J.D. Greer took a church with about 150 people in it and grew it to a church of about 6,000. That's why he's the Southern Baptist Convention president, but not only because. Because he takes very seriously the idea that we are to be fishers of men. And sometimes that process gets a little bit overwhelming, and church is responsible for that. We, we tend to, to make a big deal out of programs and this and that and the other, and you've got to be trained to do this, and we offer discipleship courses so that you're better at this, that, and the, all that, and, and, and we do. We want you to be better in all the things that we offer, except that when it comes down to doing what this talks about doing, you don't have to know anything other than how to get on your spiritual knees and pray to God for another person who doesn't know his son. And that's what this is about. How many of you here can safely say that there's someone in your life that you love that doesn't know the Lord? Anybody? Okay, that's a pretty good number of you. Imagine, put your hands back up. I want everybody to look. That's a lot of you. Okay, imagine for a moment that if one day you could walk through, all of you could walk through the doors of this church or some other church, would those people next to you walking side by side and ready to stand before God's people and say, and I've given my heart to Jesus. How wonderful would that be? Well, it doesn't even have to happen here. I can tell you about the one that I'm praying for. I've known him for 20 years since I moved here. And, uh, you know, we're, I, I love him dearly, care for him. And he's always been resistant to what I've had to say about the gospel, about coming to church. Uh, he, he feels like he, he would be a hypocrite now to try to give his he, he, life to, to God. If he, he knows now if he died, he's going to hell. But if he, uh, if he makes a decision now, it'd be like uh, he was just using Jesus to, to not go to hell. He can't get past that idea. Some of you know people like that. They just feel like they're so bad and it's, it's too far gone and just nothing, nothing to do. And, and he actually has a brother that plays music in another church here in, in, in Livingston Parish. And so I've been praying for him for a long time, longer than a year. And um, every now and then the opportunity comes up and I think of made a little progress and, you know, hadn't bore the kind of fruit that I'm imagining it might so far. But the point is, he's my one guy. He's my one guy. And the other side of that is this. I know for sure that God put him on my heart, but if I do nothing about it, and I got to go stand before my maker one day and he asked you, what about so-and-so? I kept telling you about him and you just kept kind of ignoring what I was saying and you really were ignoring him. He was right underneath your nose. I don't want to answer the question that I just, I just didn't have the time or I didn't think enough of him or, or any of that because Jesus has already given his blood for him. And if I'm going to be like Jesus, certainly I have to care as much about him as Jesus does, right? At least I got to care that much. 
I'm asking you all to do that today. I'm asking you to make a commitment to that today. A Baptist don't like commitment. So pretend you're not a ba- in a Baptist church today. Pretend you're part of the kingdom of heaven today, which you are. And make a commitment. It's part of being, it's part of what Jesus is doing when he says, I will make you fishers of people. This is part of it. And if you want to try to live a fragmented life with Jesus, you're going you're gonna to die alone and you're going to die frustrated. Because he, I can tell you right now, if, if you're living a fragmented life, if Jesus doesn't have all of your life, He's got none of your life. I want you to hear that, people. Because some, a lot of Christians try to, try to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but only, only in this way. If you're living a fragmented life with Him, you're not living with Him at all. And I'm not moralizing. I'm not moralizing and talking about behaviors, this, that, and the other. I'm not, I'm not legalizing and say you've got to be this way and that way. I'm talking about your heart. Because God knows He's still working on me. There used to be a song about that. I need to sing it sometime. But He's still working on me, and I know that. I know I'm, nobody in this room is perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. But I know where my heart is with Him. And I'm saying you need to know where your heart is with Jesus. Because what I'm about to ask you to do doesn't take much, but it does take commitment. What I want us to do today, in a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And it's different today. Uh, look, if you're here today, and you believe that you've got a life of sin that's separating from you from God, and that you're ready to surrender that life to Jesus, I want you to come talk to me in just a minute when the invitations. I'm going to be standing right over here. If you're ready to get your life right with Jesus and to surrender to Him, if you're ready to be made into His image and to follow Him all of your days, to accept what He has done for you on that cross, to, to, to relieve you of your sin guilt so that you can stand before God clean and to be made into the likeness of His Son. If that's what you're ready to do today, I want you to come right over here while I'm standing here in our invitation time in just a moment. But everyone else, I want you to stand up. My Don and the others are playing, and I want you to come get one of these books. This is a 30-day prayer book. This is to help you begin to pray for the person that you're going to reach out to sometime. You heard J.D. Greer do this, right? Did you hear him earlier? (laughs) This guy, he knows how to grow a church. He knows how to bring people to Christ. Did you hear how he's doing it? He met this guy, just hit it off. They became good friends. Started talking a little bit about what it means, you know, to be a Christian or what the Scriptures have to say. And their relationship is built around that exchange. And this guy's known him for almost a year now. He still hasn't made a commitment to even come to church regular, much less to give his life to Jesus. But the heart's in the right place and God's working in it in the right way. And you might discover that God's willing to use your life in the same way. 85% of people that do not believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will entertain the idea 
if they have an honest relationship with someone who is a Christian. 85%. But you know what else is true? (laughs) Almost the same number. 85% of Christians have cut themselves off from the world. They don't want to have anything to do with lost people. You'll want to when you get through praying through this book. Because the glory, the glory that we provide God is the life that we live as Jesus. And Jesus brings people to the Father. He had one purpose. Also in this, that you'll pick up this morning, is a bookmark. It's got the scriptures written here from all every every day. The thirty day scriptures are right here on this bookmark that you can keep. This part that tears off better tear off. This is a place to write the one, just their name. Just put their name. You can even put their first name if you're if you're worried about somebody knowing their first and last name. But I encourage you to put both their names. And this is what we're going to do. I expect everybody that takes a book to, to return this in the offering plate over the next two or three weeks. And we're going to build a list in our church so that not only you are praying, but we're all praying for each other's one. So that we begin to see just how, just how great and marvelous God deals with our prayers. So, does this sound like a good way to proceed today? I've become quite convinced over the last couple of years that that God is working hard to prepare His church. I believe that God wants to, I believe He wants to send His Son back to us to receive us. But I know from Scripture, that He is not going to do that until the church is ready. And I truly believe that when the hearts of the men and women in the church are ready to do this one really simple thing, that we've taken great strides to being what God has created us to be. Do you want to be what God created us to be? I'm asking. You can raise your hand on that one too. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. And I'm going to offer a prayer. And then as they play, I want you to come forward. If, if, if you can't come forward and you want one of these books, I mean, if you can't physically get up and come, raise your hand, we'll bring you one. But I want everyone to have one. I want us to do this together as a church. This is as unifying an act today as anything we can do as God's people together. So let's bow together. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for sending your son to pay the price for our sins, for offering us eternal life, for being that bridge between you and us so that we can be all that you've created us to be, so that we too can share 
in life the way that you intend us. And Father, you've given us much and you require much. The much that we've been given is a life with you and what you require of us is simple. That we sit at your son's feet, that we become like him and that we do like him. So Father, I'm, I'm praying now that each one of us in this room in a very small way but in, in the most important way that we become like Jesus with this one person in our heart right now that we can bring to you. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the bigger portions of life together that we forget that your way, your way of accomplishing your task is not through programs and it is not through church attendance and it is not through any of those things. Your way of doing it, the method that you laid forth was in people, individuals. Allow us, God, to behave in such a way in our faith that who we are as a life that we accomplish all that you've given us to accomplish. That you make us to be fishers of people and that it begin in our prayer for them. So today, God, we ask that as we make a commitment to pray that you honor our prayers together and that you will let us see the fruit. Let us experience the fruit. Taste. We'll be able to taste it and see it. These are the things we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand.